Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books in History podcast. I'm your host, Yorgos Yanakopoulos. Our guest today is Maria Dimova-Cookson. Maria works in Durham University. She teaches political theory in Durham University. And her new book is called Rethinking Positive and Negative Liberty. Maria, I would like to begin this by asking you to introduce yourself uh, and your work. Good morning, uh, Georgios. Uh, thank you very much for uh, inviting me to give this interview on the occasion of uh, my book. So to introduce myself, I'm a political theorist and uh, my background is uh, I've uh, done research. I'm known for uh, my work on the political philosophy of the British idealist T.H. Uh, uh, Green. However, ever since I've been in Durham, which is for the last 13, 14 years, uh, my research has uh, focused on uh, uh, theories of uh, liberty, so I very much uh, my work has led to uh, to this uh, book. Uh, if I were to uh, explain the the substance of my research more generally, what I would say is that I'm interested in uh, moral agency. I'm interested in the common good and the uh, moral psychology behind the common good. So uh, kind of questions that animate uh, my uh, research are, you know, what, what, is it, what is it that motivates us uh, to uh, engage in common good? What is, what is the mechanics of uh, moral action? Because I believe that if we understand these mechanics, we can explain issues in political theory uh, like uh, liberty, uh, for example. So I, I can give one example of uh, the research I've done, one of the arguments uh, I've made. Uh, so I have argued that depending on which side of the moral interaction you are, you experience either positive or negative freedom. So I'll give you an example here mm-hmm. uh, of, of a carer and uh, an ill person. So that's a moral interaction. The carer is being the moral agent. They're helping uh, the ill person restore to uh, full health. So the ill person who turned into a healthy person, uh, uh, she is the recipient of moral action. She can now uh, invest in her common good. She can do what she likes. She has received negative uh, freedom. The carer, they haven't received negative freedom. They couldn't advance their well-being because they are looking after somebody else. But they have the horizon, the possibility of experiencing positive freedom, if they couldn't take satisfaction from the good, they could experience uh, positive freedom. So it's kind of this is how I link the mechanics of moral action with uh, distinguishing, so to say, the experience of positive and negative uh, liberty. Great. We, uh, thank you for this. Before we move uh, and speak about you know uh, uh, the, the substance of the book per se, something that struck me in the introduction as I was reading it is that you hint there about uh, your experience living under socialism uh, in Bulgaria. So I, I wondered if, uh, to what extent, that experience uh, 
has influenced your uh you know uh, has motivated you to study freedom uh, in and speak about freedom in the way you do okay uh yes uh writing this book has made me kind of rethink uh uh my experience most of uh kind of my uh, my early years, indeed up to becoming halfway through my uh, degree in philosophy, I was uh, in Bulgaria. So uh, 30 years ago, when uh, Berlin Wall fell, uh, I was uh, halfway through my philosophy degree. So for my formative years, my school years, uh, early student years, uh, they were during uh, the socialist regime. I would uh, single out uh, three features of this regime, which I think had a very uh, big impact. So the first feature is that it was very ideologically charged, or I would call it ethically charged. So there was a lot of uh, communist propaganda. Very successful, I would say. Uh, so at school, we were taught how good our regime is, how humane it is, how just it is. And we, we, we believed in it. It gave us a sense of person. It kind of put us in the framework of, of lots of uh, things to do. The, the pioneer organization was very good at, at keeping us active, making us uh, to do things, but there was this sense of enthusiasm, of passion, of of of, of a vision uh, about what one uh, can do. So it, I would say very, uh, this kind of made for very happy childhood years. If you were hardworking and um, social person, the, the the system really uh, rewarded you. Of course, you grow up uh, and you kind of start to see the cracks. You start to see uh, uh, the corruption. Uh, but I would say this this idealism, this ethical charge, this sense of passion and enthusiasm that stays with you uh, uh, for a long time. Second uh, feature of uh, of the life under the regime was uh, depoliticization, uh, which means that one didn't have one shouldn't have political ambitions. You could not engage in politics. Uh, you cannot put yourself forward. You cannot nominate yourself. You can only be chosen. So people uh, steered clear from uh, politics. Indeed, uh, if you were ambitious, if you wanted a career, academic or else, you you were you gravitated towards arts and humanities. So doing philosophy was really um, a good thing to do. It was a very uh, prestigious uh, uh, thing to do, uh, and uh, you couldn't study politics. Indeed, uh, the first degree in politologia, politology, uh, started uh, in, in, with my generation in 1986, only three years uh, before the change. So the third feature of the regime was that had a huge impact uh, on, on choice of, of research was uh, steering clear from Marx. So this was something our professors and uh, our teachers were very skilled, kind of philosophers were very skilled in steering clear from Marx, steering clear from criticism of Marx. So one way of doing it is don't do moral and political philosophy, but you can do metaphysics, you can do epistemology, aesthetics, theory of knowledge, history philosophy, um, ancient and medieval philosophy were really, really popular. Another way to uh, steer clear is to, and be safe, was to look at the influences, kind of study the philosophers who influenced Marx. And that was fantastic. We could do a lot of modern uh, European philosophy. We can do German idealism. We can do French existentialism. Um, all this uh, fascinating and interesting uh, uh, stuff. So you can very clearly see the connection why I gravitated to uh, British uh, 
uh, idealism uh, when I uh, came uh, to this country. But uh, but I discovered uh, um, Berlin uh, and kind of this, his famous essay on two, con- uh, two concepts of uh, liberty. So the way I gravitated towards this uh, essay is, is quite interesting. So on the one hand, I was outraged by uh, Berlin's critique of uh, positive freedom because Berlin was challenging the essence of philosophical knowledge. Berlin was challenging the, the virtue of being committed uh, to big ideals. And, and interestingly, you know, that was something you take from the communist regime. You don't rebel against the big ideas. You believe uh, they are a good things so long as they're the correct uh, big ideas. But I also really, I was really, really attracted to uh, his concept of uh, uh, negative uh, freedom. And I think I like this concept differently from my uh, Western counterparts. Here in the West, people are really scared of ideological uh, indoctrination. We're not so scared of it because we know it. It's not so dangerous. Everybody is uh, ideologically indoctrinated. People are not that stupid. You can, you, you can see, you can, you can think for yourself. But what was very powerful in communist regimes is this sense of duty, this sense that you have to subordinate your personal good to the common good. And this really kind of goes very deeply in you. And, and in some ways, very deeply oppressive. It's maybe it's very similar if you grow up in, within a, a religious environment. Uh, you, you have the sense that your, your personal life is not very significant. What's important is your uh, service to the community. So, so negative freedom is very uh, big, uh, liberating attraction that you can actually care about uh, your career, your life, your well-being, and you can speak about it. You, you don't do it secretly. You can, you can, you can do it. Uh, right. So, so Isaiah Berlin is the third um, in a series of three um, thinkers that uh, the book touches upon. And just to, to, to set the record straight, uh, did you first come in touch with uh, Berlin's writings while you were still t- uh, studying uh, political philosophy in Bulgaria, right? So, no, no, it's very important to say I studied philosophy in Bulgaria and you couldn't do much political philosophy and you were not advised to do political philosophy. So Berlin was a big discovery um, coming here. Coming here. Uh, and yes, and kind of the taking the direction towards more on political philosophy was very much something right. that, that I, I did here when I uh, did uh, the idea, MAD, um, uh, on toleration. Uh, in political philosophy at uh, at your right. so kind of Great. philosophy turn, took a political or more moral philosophy political philosophy turn. right great uh, okay moving now on the book because obviously this podcast is about the book uh, I actually uh, another methodological um, point you're making in the book's introduction that I found it's interesting to talk about is that you speak about the divide or you know the the, the the separation, if you will, between the history, political thought, and political theory, and uh, and and your book, in a way, uh, try to engage us with this dimension. So I'm just wondering, how do you see this divide playing out in the context of your work and of the book, in, uh, in specifically? So in a way, I rebel against the divide. I, I regret the divide. I always think that the divide works for those who, for some reason. Do, do not like philosophy. So the way I understand the divide is that if you do history of ideas, uh, 
in a way you have to you have to be historian to do history of ideas. And if you are a philosopher, you do contemporary analytic political philosophy. So there was kind of this division of the terrain, which I found very uncomfortable because I was uh, because you know I see myself as a philosopher who studies past thinkers. So in a way, this was a you couldn't do that. You in order to study past thinkers, you have to be a historian because if you're a philosopher, you ask the, the, the wrong questions. You you kind of you don't understand the historical context, etc. So I, I felt banned from doing the kind of things I had been doing and which I uh, found uh, uh, enjoyable. So it, it, yes, in a way though, I I, I felt uh, frustrated uh, against this. Uh, challenge of the validity of uh, abstract uh, philosophical uh, uh, ideas. And uh, what I think is that, you know, being interested in history is is, is good, but being interested in philosophy, you know, there are different uh, questions. I think it's, it's fine to ask past thinkers philosophical questions rather than to approach them with interest focused in, in history interest focus in, in, in their period and try to understand and explain them in their context without then trying to take something with you and, and kind of smuggle it uh, in the past, which which is what I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm doing. Right, right, yes. And, and obviously the concept of freedom is, is, is a way for you to showcase this position that you uh, that, that you take yes, vis-a-vis yes. this debate. Yes, uh, yes, yes. I, uh, moving on this, so the title of the book is Rethinking Positive and Negative Freedom. And you're selecting, uh, and you're quite open about the criteria of your selection, to study three thinkers that move through successive periods, Benjamin Constant, T.H. Green, and then Isaiah Berlin. I wanted to ask you, uh, oh, why is it that you picked these three thinkers? Uh, and yeah, and and how is this succession also in chronological terms uh, uh, useful to your story? Yes, there are. I'm interested in these uh, thinkers because they both have a, a dual conceptualization of, of liberty. They work with uh, two concepts, and they work with two concepts in a very particular fashion. So you find other people, other thinkers, who would say yes, yeah, this meaning of freedom and and that meaning of freedom, but what kind of unites these three thinkers is that they see these two meaning these two meanings of freedom as aspects of uh, of a moral dilemma, uh, and uh, uh, also both of these three thinkers share a common understanding of developmental human agency. They they share a common understanding about the significance of of moral action, the way in which moral ac- action comes as a result of development. We have to develop our dispositions to be able to uh, engage with it. They also understand and they're very open about how difficult it is, how challenging uh, uh, it is. And this understanding reflects on their very particular vision of how positive and negative uh, freedom uh, works. So for Constant and Berlin have a, the concept of negative freedom as defended, Constance Modern and Berlin's negative freedom, they're very particular. They're not simple uh, kind of freedom from type definitions of liberty that many people uh, take it to be. It is 
they're, they're complex categories and they can only be understood if you study the uh, uh, duality of freedom. So the way these two concepts function with this, these three thinkers, the dialectic between these two concepts is very particular uh, to, to, to these three thinkers. So, uh, and this is where you come from. You're not so much interested to show, you know, the way these three thinkers interact with one another, but rather to point out to the way they uh, situate themselves vis-a-vis this duality of the concept of, of freedom, the way you presented it. Is that right? It's uh, they so they they live the, uh, apart. Uh, the, the way they interact is kind of one way. Berlin uh, spoke about constants. He you know, he, he he really saw the affinity. Uh, there, Berlin also uh, rebelled against Green. So in a way, Berlin interacted with them. I don't think uh, uh, Green interacted with uh, Constant. He he re- Berlin uh, Green in- interacted to Mill, who had similarities uh, with Constant. So so yes, there is the only direct interaction is uh, Berlin's. Uh, uh, Berlin embracing constant and critiquing green, uh, uh, so to say. But yes, the short answer to your question is yes. It's not how they interact, but how they deal with these uh, c- concepts. Yes, and kind of the, the argument they they make and uh, they're on the, they're on, what is characteristic of all three thinkers is developmental understanding uh, of human agency. Right uh, across the span of of two centuries, obviously, and, uh, uh, and more in, indeed. Um, can I? You also say that 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 your book also wants to defend the, uh, if you will, dual understanding of freedom as negative and positive. Uh, so I was wondering if you can speak a bit more about why has this dual nature? Why is it in need of defense? Ah, <laughs> in the sense, uh, it, okay, so why it has been criticized, yeah? It's, that, that's your question. Uh, Berlin's, uh, particularly Berlin's positive and negative freedom distinction, has been criticized for several very good uh, reasons. So I would say reason number one is the <laughs> the poverty of his concept, so the, the faults of his concept of negative uh, uh, freedom. There, there's kind of some fatal flaws in it. He denies the link uh, between negative freedom and um, capacities to do things. He he denies a link between uh, deprivation of negative uh, freedom and poverty. He denies a link between negative freedom and democracy, between negative uh, freedom and uh, self determination. So so critics cannot forgive him uh, for for this. These are very significant uh, omissions. There are very significant aspects of liberty which. Uh, negative freedom fails to, uh, uh, to 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 incorporate, and 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 this, what should I say, hollowing of negative freedom is partly a result of the distinction because he kind of took out the freedom and put it into the positive freedom. Negative freedom became a very uh, hollow uh, concept. Another problem of the distinction is uh, his kind of his the attack on positive freedoms and the and the values. Embedded in positive freedom, that is seen as as, as problematic. Um, McCallum's uh, famous critique, uh, Gerald McCallum's critique uh, 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 against the distinction, makes some uh, very valuable points. So what McCallum observes is that there are a number of dichotomies which Berlin tries to put inside the the distinction. So let's say there are different understanding of agencies which. 
you know, some are positive, some are negative. There are different understandings of obstacles to freedom, which fall into categories. There are different ideologies, which fall into the two categories. There's lots of lots of different dichotomies there, which Berlin somehow superimposes. The claim almost is that all these dichotomies overlap, and kind of the left-hand side ones are negative freedom, the right-hand side ones are positive freedom. And, and this is very easy to challenge. Things are much more complex. Uh, thinkers that are on the one side, on one criteria, are on the different side, on the other criteria. So the, the camps are not neat at all. It's, it's a complex dichotomy, and they do not comfortably lead to two categories of of uh, of concept. So that is very significant uh, critique there. And finally, I think one of the problems with the dichotomy is that kind of it's a little bit schizophrenic. So if we are interested in freedom, we want to know what freedom is. And if in the end somebody tells you freedom is that and it's opposite, it's like, what? You know, you want to know what freedom is. You want a concept that works, that helps you understand it, it helps you protect it. And kind of if, if you come with two concepts which arguably uh, are antagonistic in some way, you, you can say, but actually what is freedom? In, it kind of, it's very unsettling. There is a sense in which a dichotomous or a dual understanding of freedom is, is very unsettling and one can say, hang on a minute, can you tell me what freedom is, what, what freedom itself uh, is? So, mm-hmm. so these are very significant challenges uh, to, 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 the, uh, to the distinction. And uh, the way I try to address them is by kind of redefining the two concepts, uh, but also, uh, yes, kind of trying to uh, also explain the, uh, the criteria for the distinction more, more clearly so that it stands. One of... It, it, it's a difficult distinction. It, it's a dynamic one. It, it changes. It can very easily be pushed one way or another, or kind of uh, proven proven that it doesn't work. It, the two concepts can very easily collapse into each other, or one of them can become invalid as a concept of freedom. So I've tried to bring in three criteria for the distinction that that hold it uh, hold hold it there uh, more firmly and and kind of keep it, uh, let's say, against uh, uh, serious, keep it protected from the attacks to which it has been hitherto Great. exposed. Yeah. Before we move on to the normative aspect, obviously, of this, I just wanted to ask, going backwards from, from, from Berlin and, you know, uh, in the post-war setting uh, to uh, Victorian England and T.H. Green. So I was wondering if you could connect your discussion of Berlin to uh, uh, what is it that you find in T.H. Green, uh, the great uh, uh, thinker of Victorian England uh, uh, th- th- that is worth for the, the way you want to reconstruct this, this distinction? What's important about uh, Green is the a viable concept of positive freedom that lacks in uh, it lacks fully in constant and in Berlin with constant we have a hint Asian liberty becomes very important at the end of a constant famous essay which uh, sides with modern liberty at the end Asian liberty comes back 
because he acknowledges modern men care about politics, modern men care about virtue, modern men care about high duty, and ancient or also political liberty is very important aspect of uh, modern people's uh, portfolio. But he doesn't exactly say how ancient liberty functions in modern times. So how could modern people be free in the way uh, people in Asian republics were free? So there's a hint that this liberty cannot be thrown, go by the, by the way, we cannot get rid of it. But what it is, how does it function as modern liberty, that's not clear. With Berlin, again, we have this vision of self-mastery, which is good. Uh, but it very quickly falls to pieces because he puts it to such a ferocious critique that in the end of the day you wonder, was this freedom or was it sheer violation of, of, of freedom? So he says he cares about positive freedom. He says we have two concepts, but one wonders where's the positive one, how you know he, he does everything to discredit it and not enough uh, so credit it. And, and, and this is where Green comes. Green comes with, with a, what we call a modern concept of, uh, of positive freedom. And, and this is very, very important concept. I think we cannot understand freedom without understanding positive freedom. Uh, in the way, so the way I reconceptualize both positive and negative is by understanding how positive works, what it means, and then helping construct the negative one, which I would believe is the more basic, the more routine concept of freedom, but it, it kind of it has uh, the, the positive freedom uh, dimension, which can be there if you if you accept um, uh, uh, what positive freedom is. So, so for, in essence, it is a, a capacity to experience satisfaction in engaging with doing good, and and this is possible if we can connect very organically our vision of what is good for us with our understanding uh, with what with with what is good for those around us with what is good uh, for, you know with what is the common uh, with what is the common good so that so green is very good in explaining the the possibility uh, uh, and, and the desirability of uh, positive freedom. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I, the, there are some scattered references in the book. Obviously, I understand this is not, you know, the the the, the key focus of the book on uh, John Stuart Mill and Mill's understanding of liberty, which doesn't quite follow that divide. I was just wondering if you have anything more to say about, you know, since we are in the you know period now, if you will, in the context of Victorian England. Uh, about wh- how how could we situate Mill and the utilitarian tradition in in this sort of discussion you're having with your thinkers? Mill would fit very uh, comfortably with with the way I would define uh, negative freedom. So the concept of negative freedom I, I propose uh, would r- raise some eyebrows because it sounds like a like a positive freedom, but it is negative. So neg- the way I understand negative freedom is capacity to control one's own uh, well-being. I would say capacity to control, to advance uh, one's own uh, well-being. So it it has the idea of uh, valuing individual development, valuing individuality, valuing individual people in their own right, valuing their independence to do what is good for them, valuing their own good, but understanding the centrality of development, seeing their well-being in terms of um, in terms of uh, in terms of development. So yes, the 
then new is is crucial. The way we understand uh, liberty nowadays, the way Berlin understood negative liberty, uh, it, it 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 has embedded very fundamentally Mill's uh, um, understanding of, of 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 liberty. Let's say if we have a, a rich concept of of liberty, it's uh, very much thanks. Uh, to, to Mill, and what's good about Mill is that he channels very well the concerns both of Berlin and of Constant. These concerns are about the pressure of uh, moral pressures we are under. We are under pressures to conform. We are under pressures to serve the common good. We are under permanent pressure to channel our energy not to service of our own well-being, but to the service of communities' well-being. And being free means being able to resist, not fully, but to some extent, being able to resist the pressure to to serve the to serve the, the common good. So yes, he, he Mill, Constant Berlin, they are articulating a very difficult, very brave idea about the the value of individuality, and kind of that's how Mill uh, fits. Uh, Fits here. What Mill doesn't have is a concept of of positive freedom. He doesn't have a dual uh, conceptualize dual conceptualization of, of of liberty. And maybe what he lacks, and, and the other three thinkers have, is a better appreciation of the moral dilemmas mm-hmm. we face. I understand. Moving now on to you know the current setting, current debates. I want to push our conversation to this but uh, on the one end you hinted that uh, you hinted about that earlier i wanted to push you to situate yourself and your uh, what you're proposing the way to talk about liberty today in with regard to uh, debates in the field of political theory the different kinds of ways that one talks about liberty today in political theory in theory in general so i wanted if you could like articulate you know repeat if you will what your contribution is to this set of debates okay so i i haven't made a contribution but i can suggest how this contribution can work and, and two issues i would single out where you can see the potential of, of, of this new distinction i'm proposing can work would be climate change and uh, developing critique of populism so it, it, to put it Briefly, we can we can deal with climate change only if we have the horizon of positive uh, freedom. So what I uh, mean here is the following: that dealing with climate change is going to be very hard. We have to change our ways of lives very fundamentally, and we have to be able to do so. So if we have the possibility of, uh, of positive freedom available to us, which means if we, we if we can have it in us to be satisfied with doing something that serves others, we, we can move forward and we can really engage constructively with climate change. We we have to do things that are really, really hard and like traveling less. This is so hard because most of us come from other countries. We need to visit back our countries. Most of us have jobs where we need to travel in order to to, to network. Reducing that would mean rescaling uh, what what we can do uh, professionally. We have very busy lives. We try to uh, um, combine families with uh, with jobs. 
we have to run around, uh, run errands, give lifts. If we if we don't drive, that means we have to also downscale on what how much we plan to do at work, how much we um, can do uh, at home. We possibly have to work less, earn less, reduce economic growth. I mean, it, it is mind-boggling uh, about the scale of changes we have to engage with. And we have the option of do it freely, which means engaging with positive freedom, or the options of not doing it, facing a catastrophe, and then being forced to do things, uh, which we could have done freely, and if, if we had done them freely, could have preempted a, a, a catastrophe. You mentioned in also here of, populism uh, and the debate on uh, populism. Populism, yes, yes. In, in, in terms of uh, populism, so populism is a form of rejecting progressive political reform. It, it's a form of rejecting idealism or moral aspirations uh, in uh, in politics. So pop, the populist disposition is a form of uh, of uh, rejecting uh, uh, positive freedom. So in a way, we can kind of find a critical angle here, but it, it's kind of this is the the disposition to kind of follow a populist cause is the opposite to that of of kind of in thinking of your own common good in the direction of uh, embracing more and more uh, the, the common good and what I would say is that a populist regime is one in which one which cannot provide for the negative freedom uh, of, of people because negative freedom is about our individual capacity to advance our, our own well-being. But this well-being will not have a horizon for growth if we are not able to internalize partially our our, our duties and, and populism is very much directed towards blaming others for our own problems, uh, uh, as opposed to kind of opening up, engaging, engaging uh, uh, with others. So I think the kind of the the positive negative uh, freedom distinction here offers a critical lens that can uh, explain uh, uh, the problems with populism. And kind of su- suggest ways of, of turning things uh, around. I, I should also, uh, since we're coming to a close, uh, uh, I, I should not avoid raising a more uh, political point and would like your thoughts on it because you live and work in the UK and in the past, in the f- past few years, in light of the Brexit convers- debates and everything, there has been uh, a lot of talk. Uh, in uh, political rhetoric, that's to say, evoking these different facets of of liberty. Uh, Think of, you know, people are talking about exiting the EU would be something that will allow the Brits or some Brits to recover a lost sense of freedom. They're talking about being free to forge connections and and make trade, uh, you know, uh, uh, treatises and stuff with the rest of the world. So I was wondering, as someone who is engaged in these debates and you think of it in terms of think of them in terms of political theory and their usefulness, what do you make of this constant evocation of freedom in one way or another in the current political debate in Britain? Georgios, <laughs> uh, that's a very very difficult. Uh, Question: Yes, the uh, couching the couching the the, the Brexit uh, in terms of uh, in, increase of uh, of liberty 
oh, it's difficult for me to. I'm I uh, I have very strong personal views uh, on 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 that and. Uh, um yes yeah. i would uh, i would find it difficult to 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 take um of course i'll be very inclined to to argue that uh, the desire to 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 brexit does not enhance liberty that's that that is very difficult that is a very complex issue that ref, that that refers to to people's history and, and it, i would say that in a way the the Brexit debate makes me more aware of my origins, the way my ideas are shaped, the, the way people's ideas about liberty are shaped in, in, in terms of, of of their own values. Um, yeah. I would say that that's 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 difficult. I'm deeply opposed to Brexit, <laughs> uh, but yeah, how how this could be? It is an interesting question. How how the, the the Brexit demands can be expressed in in terms of uh, demands for, for liberty. And I guess here exactly what we need and what your book makes is we need to step uh, to make a step back and think of this rich depository of debates about the idea uh, of freedom and how uh, it has been conceptualized over a long period of time, rather than simply start using freedom as a you know political uh, employ rhetorically freedom in political debates that you know that don't li- really need, lead anywhere. Oh yes, absolutely. It, it just it's the argument behind the pursuit of, of freedom are, are, are hugely important, and it's kind of looking into these arguments that that would be. Uh, would be very interesting. I think yes, engaging with these arguments can be quite productive for a for a very fruitful political discourse, which will not end uh, with this uh, whatever the outcomes of this election or whatever the current outcomes of Brexit are. This is a debate that will be uh, had, and uh, kind of I think participating, engaging with these arguments would be. Uh, would be very beneficial for developing one's self-understanding and one's Great. political position. Uh, well, uh, I think we've come up to our to our time. Uh, Maria uh, dimova Cookson, uh, I'd like to thank you very much for participating in this podcast. And for one last time, just to mention the title of the book, it's called Rethinking Positive and Negative Liberty, out with Routledge's uh, Press. Thank you very much, Georgis. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for this opportunity.